Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me is a, is a familiar voice, but one that hasn't been on in a while. It's, uh, it's Chris Johnson. Chris, how's it going, man? I have to live up to that uh, standard now that uh, the great listener has put me on your Mount Rushmore. Yes, yeah. No, you, you deserve it. I mean, obviously, listen, your work on television and sportsnet.ca and, and contributions to this podcast are, speak for themselves, but uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that you, know, you grew out that beard this season and all of a sudden it takes you to the next level. Yeah, really. Uh, it really feels like that was the turning point for me. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm, I'm a bit torn here because obviously around this time of year, everyone wants to play armchair GM and come up with all these fantasy trades. And I think with good reason. I mean, it's really fun to do. And, and just the, the options are so endless. So like the potential of fireworks just gets the blood rushing. But I mean, for our purposes here, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon and I'm not sure when people are going to be listening to this. So like, I don't want to be kind of speculating about stuff because by the time it gets out there, a lot of it might just be like so outdated. So maybe we'll have a, just kind of a more uh, big picture conversation about sort of what's going on around the trade deadline and how your job works as opposed to actual specific trades themselves. All right, let's do that. Um, so we, we started this conversation last year around this time. Um, it's, it's, it's been a while since then, but I wanted to rehash the discussion we had about just like the the business side of things when it comes to your job as an insider. I mean, how everything's put together and, and how it's released into the public. And I think a good place to start is like like walk me through the process of how you get to figuring out what something's going on and maybe you keep following up with the source and then actually either tweeting about it or writing an article about something that's about to happen. Yeah, for me, the most important part of the job actually is is really, you know, ahead of, you know, where we are now, where we're only a couple days away, is getting a sense of of which players might move, where teams are at, and, you know, it's sort of anticipating what could happen. I feel like that that is, you know, gives you the best chance uh, to, to sort of almost anticipate and be asking the right people the right questions to, to put yourself in, in position for news. I mean, clearly... There are still some things that, that pop up along the way that uh, you didn't see coming entirely that, that 
whether it's a player or, or a team acquiring a type of player uh, that you wouldn't have guessed they were in the market for. I mean, there's that element too. But for me, I, I think the prep work is important. Uh, I also think that, that sometimes uh, it's it's not just the obvious people that you might think, you know, like a GM of a team where this kind of information can come from. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about being as creative as you can and bugging as many people as you can that, that, that might at least have insight into what a team is thinking that leads you to uh, the, the path uh, that, that we go down. I mean, the other aspect of this as well is that I think the breaking news is, has changed a little bit. A lot gets broken by the teams themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of teams prior, prioritize uh, trying to, to be the ones that release their own news. And, and, you know, sometimes the analysis is just as valuable, if not more so. And that, that kind of speaks a little bit to the prep work I'm talking about to, to you know, put it in the right context uh, for why a move was made by a certain team. So there's there's no formula. And, and to be honest, I still feel like I'm trying to figure it out. Hmm. Uh, but but every year, it, I wouldn't say it gets easier, but it gets maybe just, just small degrees easier because, uh, you know, you, you the number of people you meet or know grows or maybe even the trust level people have in you grows a little bit and you're able to get some of that information out there. Well, I imagine the more time you uh, you spend in this industry and the more so the, sort of the, the bigger your Rolodex grows, like there's a period of time, there's like this breaking point where, you know, for a while you're probably like making most of the calls and, and, and being really aggressive and diligent about it. And then at a certain point, maybe people start coming to you with information because they want you to get it out there. Like, have you reached that point yet? Not too often. I, that's happened, I would say, very occasionally. Uh, but, you know, I do think that that happens for some of the bigger names and more uh, longer term established guys that, that at times, I mean, I'm not saying they're getting anything handed to them right. and not doing their work, but that, that you know, you, you just have that, that level of relationship with people or, or maybe you're at such a standing that someone feels that they're, they're getting something back by giving it to you. But, you know, that at this stage doesn't happen a ton every once in a while. I mean, a, a lot of times for me, I find it starts with kind of a tip uh, that someone might have that, that isn't even necessarily directly involved in the situation. Oh, I heard this team might be doing this. And, and you know, you, you can start to piece something together uh, by getting a lead uh, early on. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's a funny thing. I mean, I remember when I very first started out and you, you almost feel at that point, I was pretty young when I started in, in the journalism industry, you feel like no one knows who you are and, mm-hmm. and, it's very difficult, and all of a sudden one day you find yourself in a rink, and a coach will walk by from a team that you've never met, and they'll say, "Hey, Chris," or something. <laughs> and you go, "Wow!" Like and, and like that. I remember that kind of blowing my mind that somehow people knew me that I didn't really know, and and you know it, it does get a little you know better with time. And uh, for me, living in Toronto, but traveling the playoffs every year, I find has been a valuable resource just because obviously I'm not spending much time in my own city, uh, you know, with the last 10 years away, they've gone for the Leafs. So, so there's a lot more time on, on the road uh, with certain teams that, you know, and you get to know their personnel and, and uh, make some connections that way. But you know, I don't think there's any one formula. I bet if you had, uh, you know, Elliot Friedman on or Bob McKenzie or Pierre Lebron, Darren Drager, you know, the, the others that, that everyone's got kind of different ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but certainly the key is, is, you know, I think being as as open and and straightforward with the people you're dealing with as you can, and trying to, you know, it, it's something about not burning bridges. But I think it's it's about being uh, direct with these people because no matter what happens, you still got to deal with them later on, and and just trying to know as many people as you you can know and talk to them and get a feel for where they're at. I'm always fascinated with 
how, like the the process of news breaking in 2017 in the social media era because you know i'm sure there's times where something might come across your eyes whether it's in like a text message or an email or a call and you're just like you're itching to get it out there but obviously you also want to do your due diligence to maybe cross reference or, or check with another source so it's like you have this interesting balance between being one of the first people to break something and get on top of the story versus actually making sure you're right because i think that you know that's something we can we might get overlooked sometimes like you, you just the fact that, you know, you can nail nine straight reports and be flawless with your work. But if you mess up on the 10th one and you kind of get ahead of yourself a little bit, like people are going to wind up remembering that. And they're just like part of the part of the business, I guess. Yeah, it's a constant game of kind of asking yourself important questions. And, and you know, for me, kind of like a mental conversation I have all the time is that it's not always I mean, ideally you would want to break every story and then you know that that's a way to a path to success but i mean you have to you have to kind of have a self-restraint when you're doing this and you know i can tell you right now there's there's one story that i'm half sitting on because i haven't got it nailed in in every single direction i think i've basically got it and it's driving me crazy um (laughs) but uh but but it's better to I think it's better to, to exercise caution. I mean, everyone can get small things wrong here and there, but I mean, you really you want to be as careful as you can, as accurate as you can. And I think that your reputation gets built on that over a number of years. You know, more than simply just just getting breaks. And, and I think, frankly, I mean, on the deadline day itself, and when there's live TV, obviously it's nice to get some trades out there. But in general, trades them, themselves they're, they're confirmed within seconds by someone else or the team announces as i mentioned so the, the, the trades aren't always the, the biggest thing i mean i i think that the, the toughest part is that some of the best stories that you might endeavor to to break uh, there, there's a reason for other people not to want them out there mm-hmm. or, or not to make it easy on on telling you that that is what's going on and and you know you do want to be sure i mean i i come from a bit of a conservative background journalistically because i worked at the newswire service uh you know from the time i was 18 years old and until about five years ago and you know there i mean there's, there's a heavy focus on balance and and checking with sources and then there's just you know that that was kind of the, the way i learned how to do the job and and i think it's it served me well actually pierre lebrun came up the same way he was there before i was a little older than i was but i, I do think that some of that rigorous background in, in terms of just just being sure that you're sure uh, because nobody wants to be wrong on a big story that that makes it a bigger story and, and then you become the story in, in some ways if, if that happens and so there's uh it, it's constant though i'm telling you it, it it even as many years as, as i've kind of been around like right now that that one story and i'd love to tell you about yes. it is driving me crazy because i i feel like i got it but it, I have to be sure, and and you know, hopefully, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be evident what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I, I still remember. I think I guess it was back in 2013 uh, when one of my one of my good friends was working for the Canucks as a uh, like in the ticket sales department, and yep. he was at the rink, and it was like in the summertime, I think, and and he sends me a text message out of the blue, and I was still blogging about the Canucks at the time, but I was really just getting started in the industry, and he goes, um. 
I, I'm pretty sure I just saw John Tortorella walking through the hallway, and like no, no one had any news or any any information out that the Canucks were even talking to John Tortorella at the time. And I was like, right. "Are you are you sure? Like, I, I need like I'm not gonna like be the type of idiot that just spreads rumors. Like, I need I need like visual proof or something." And he like went and like sent me a picture of Don, John Tortorella just standing there in the hallway. And I still remember like I could like feel my like heart beating in my fingertips as I was like typing it out. I was like, "Holy crap! Like I'm about to break something." And I was like, I kept refreshing my feed to see if someone else was. Gonna to send out a picture of them or if the Canucks were going to break the news and it uh I guess I was the first one on that story which I I, I still like it's like my claim to fame at this point now how I, I recall generally but do you remember how long it was after that before the news became more official it was actually I mean it was like that same day it was a quite it was a couple hours okay. later but I mean it's one of those things it's a, it's a it was a good reminder where like for a while people were retweeting that and that was one of my probably like my most engaged with tweets at the time but it was like after a while it just becomes like a game of telephone where it just like people just keep regurgitating the information and after a while it just sort of like obscures where the rumor even started so it's like at some point people started telling me like oh did you hear john tortorello's talking to the canucks i'm like yeah i I heard about it (laughs) i I was the one who started it but you know (laughs) what's funny is that sometimes you know that place that you're in that can be the loneliest place on earth when you send something out like that and and just because you know you especially in a social media world it's amazing some of the backlash you get sometimes and and you know even occasionally depending on the nature of a story some of the principal people involved might come out in their local media and say that this is false or try to obfuscate the truth and and you know it can be it can be strange to be out on that limb on on your own at least in your case i think having that photo kind of eliminates yes. <laughs> uh, the, the the doubt that it, that might have existed at that time but if you say you had to sent that tweet uh, without a photo, uh, you know, some people might have been like, "Oh, you're crazy! You're making this up. Who are you?" Yeah. You know, and it's just it's it it's a kind of a strange world. Uh, it, Twitter still, I find, is is a bit of an angry place, and I've, I haven't figured that one out so much. I mean, most of us that are on there that would be bothering to follow a guy like me just love hockey, and you know what a great sport, and why do we have to be angry? But the world's a little more complex than that. Yeah, it is. Um, without without transparent things are though now in twenty seventeen in, in this in this Twitter era, like do you, do, you, do you ever find yourself still starting tweets going like sources say or my sources tell me or something like that? Because I feel like it's like become like kind of this like running joke, or whatever, or, like a meme. But but I mean, I guess you still have to do it just because sometimes people tell you something hoping that you know they won't be linked to it. So I guess you can't really just spill all the beans. Yeah, I, I would think that. That's a pretty rare one, but but there, I could I could envision a circumstance uh, where that would come up. I mean, a, a lot of the time now, I just think you can write it definitively if you're sure, mm-hmm. and you're in my shoes. And and uh, you know, there, there's times it might be necessary to put sources on there, but uh, I think it's it's kind of self-evident, you know, from time to time. And I guess it, that depends on the story, but um, you know, I, I kind of it, it almost seems it's funny. The whole trade deadline in general is. It's somewhat almost like a parody of itself, it's, and I feel like using that that sources thing. I mean, some again, it's just, yep. it just seems kind of crazy. Uh, but you know, journalistically, certainly when I write, uh, I have to be clear about that. For example, if it's if it's a player, something about a player on a team, and I've talked to his agent, I've talked to the GM, and they decline comment. You know, you you mention that, and then you might say, yeah, but sources say X and Y and Z. I mean, um, there there's times it's necessary, but I feel like in a tweet, uh, those those are few and far between. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
One other thing, and then we'll actually talk a, a bit about some of the trades that have happened already. I'm, I'm kind of always curious by the balance uh, someone like yourself strikes between being uh, a quote-unquote insider who breaks news and stuff versus being an actual analyst. And obviously, you know, there's a use to both, and but and and they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Like you don't have to if you pick one, you can't necessarily just not all of a sudden not be the other. But it's like one of these things where um, maybe sometimes you need to focus on being one 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 more than the other, or you know, if you're providing just straight facts about something you kind of don't want to be diluting it with your own opinion because all of a sudden that can obscure it like is is there a kind of internal battle you have to go through between that or is it a pretty easy fine line no i think it's something i'm still searching for and and uh personally and and you know a lot of it it comes down to the sort of job your employer wants you to fill and uh, you know, there are times where I now I'm doing some television hits uh, for Sportsnet, which are a little bit more just trying to get straight news, present the facts as best you know them and, and you know, do it that way. So, so there's not, you know, the same room uh, for opinion, you know, but whereas what I'm writing, I mean, certainly uh, I'm, I'm putting tons of opinion in, in my stories and, and, you know, primarily covering the Leafs these days uh, because of the interest uh, they have in these parts and, and, you know, there's there's a lot of my thoughts in there, not just you know things that a coach or a GM or a player have told me, um, and and I I really feel like that I to be like to be totally just laid bare. Like I I still am trying to find that the best line for that. I I don't think that people, I I think that the the people that consume media these days, especially younger people, are, are very savvy, mm-hmm. and and you know have grown up kind of within the. Uh, a different information world than than even I grew up in, and, and certainly those that are a generation beyond me. And uh, I think that they they can pick up on certain things because information is so uh, available. So if you're just repeating and regurgitating things someone else has told you, and you're not casting your own critical eye on it, I, I do think that that uh, that that isn't really serving what what most people want. And uh, I'm not certainly talking about hot takes, but it's you know someone <laughs> someone can tell me. You know this player isn't any good, and if I just say, "Well, people say this guy isn't any good," but if right. I think he's actually good, I mean, I don't know what the value in repeating just because someone has a title and and is you know respected member of the hockey community. Um, you know, I I feel like that doesn't do any good. So so honestly, I, I'm trying to to find the the perfect middle ground there, um, and you know I'm not sure that I've I've done it just yet, but. I really believe that the future of the kind of job that I want to have, uh, which includes you know more television work, will be a, a nice mix of both of you know just straight information, but also my thoughts. I mean, I've spent a long, long time doing this already, more than half my life actually professionally, and and I, I don't do much else during the hockey season, but but think about hockey, talk about hockey, and go to hockey games. So. You know, I, I do feel that there is a, a line there that, that you can kind of straddle. And, and, you know, I think that that's really serving the viewers or, or your readers the best way. Right. And I think that, you know, sometimes you might have a conversation with someone that might not necessarily be on the record where you can kind of publicly quote it, but you can use that to help with your gut feelings on stuff or helping to draw lines between future comments. Like I thought a great example of that was the story you did with when it kind of came out that the Leafs all of a sudden have like $15 million in cap space or whatever to work with. And you sort right. of, you sort of reported that as fact, which it is, but then you also kind of inter- interjected a bit of your opinion that you think you could potentially see them using that at, at, in some capacity this season, as opposed to just sitting on it, which is, is a great example of that, I think. 
Exactly. And, and you know, that, that kind of an interesting story um, because, it, I mean, really it went underreported here, and including by me for a while because the Leafs had put their players on LTIR for a while. And, and, you know, it grew out of a few different places. You know, not, uh, I will say, I first heard about this not from an obvious place, not from someone who works uh, for the Leafs and was kind of tipped off in that direction. And then, you know, obviously did certain due diligence to make sure it was correct and, and you know, had some conversation to get a feeling of where things would go and, and you know, ended up putting together the piece you're talking about. And that, that actually is, for me, uh, an example of, of what I'm talking about, where you're trying to, to blend all aspects of it and, and, you know, just look at really the market itself and, and analyze, you know, how, how it could be useful. And, and um, as I say, I, I do sort of feel, and, and you can tell me, because you would have a feel too, Dimitri, mm-hmm. that, that just straight, uh, being the first one to get a trade again, I'm not saying I don't want to do that, but I, I don't think that that is is the job so much anymore because the information moves so quickly. And I think that uh, you, you do need people that that can contextualize things and and sort of put them in a in a certain way, I guess, you know, just beyond the the, the news, uh, it, you know, to do the kind of job that I'm trying to do. Yeah, well, I think it's just like with any sort of you know evaluation, where it's like, for, for example, for someone like myself with player evaluations or, or team evaluations, like right. every, everyone has access to this public data, but it's ultimately the conclusions you draw from it and sort of what how you interpret it and what you do with it that is ultimately going to determine whether you have an interesting story or you're providing some sort of value to the hockey community beyond just be like you know screenshotting something or, or, or copy pasting some random fact and just presenting it as like a an argument. Like that's that's not that doesn't encompass the the whole job description exactly and and you know we're all we're all kind of in this together it's mm-hmm. it's uh everything's moving very quickly i, I feel like that the uh the way these things go and you know the, the salary cap has has made the the league uh more interesting to cover in some ways for me i think it uh there's some negative aspects of it and, and um you know for for players for salaries for things that it does but you know it's it's sort of changed I feel like it's it's brought a bit more of a money ball kind of feel to hockey with the way teams uh, look at players and the moves they make and and you know I, I think that sometimes a random fan I'm I'm usually thinking of my dad mm-hmm. and things like this like if I was explaining something to him <laughs> uh, because he doesn't understand and he doesn't live and breathe the nuances of this stuff but but trying to make it relevant for people that don't and and you know that's an aspect of it as well yeah for sure um so I'm I'm always fascinated by the. Uh, the idea around this time of year in terms when it comes to whether you're better off striking quickly as a team and making a move or whether you're better kind of playing the long game and being patient and maybe waiting it out till the very end. And I know like Lou Lamorello is an example of a guy that's generally tried to get ahead of the curve and realizing that you don't really want to be like backed into a corner and trying to make moves out of desperation in the last second. But I guess in theory, you could make the argument that, you know, if you're like a guy like Steve Eisenman, for example, who seems to never blink in the game of chicken, like maybe waiting until those last few minutes might work out to your advantage where you're also able to squeeze out a bit of value. Like, I guess it's like a case by case basis, but do you have any like ideas or, or thoughts on like what the best way to act would be in this, in this scenario? Well, I'm always surprised by how many teams seem to have not made up their mind one way or another <laughs> until right. this period. I mean, I realize that that sometimes it's, it's, it's maybe they've made up their mind, but they're worried about sending the wrong message message the fans especially if the messages that that we're selling and giving up on the year you know just being mindful that in some markets they're worried still about selling tickets and, and things like that so it, uh, it's not always wise maybe for for certain teams to come out and declare you know where they're at but but to me acting sooner 
both as a buyer and seller has some pretty obvious advantages. I mean, as as someone who's who's bringing in a player, uh, you you can go out and identify the one or two guys you want and and go get them. You may pay a higher price, but you get them for more games. You you, you in theory have a better opportunity to. Uh, get them comfortable with your team and and in their their new environment because it, you know if if you get an extra week or two, you know that can make a difference. Uh, there's only as we're talking right now six weeks left in the season and and you know as we've seen a lot that sometimes these are quite often I think that these deadline deals don't end up working the way teams want that that the players uh, for whatever reason don't find that the fit right to to make a contribution. It can be tough I think you know just coming into a new locker room and trying to find your place. So there's benefit there, and you know, like selling the the real danger of waiting is is we've seen some teams fail to make a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even last year when the Leafs were selling off pieces, and, and and they did a pretty good job. You know, getting two seconds for Roman Polak uh, and Nick Spalling from San Jose. That they, they, they traded Sean Mathias at least a week before the deadline, uh, but then it got down to the last week, and PA Parento was another player that had an expiring deal who. You know, was in the middle of a 20-goal season, and they weren't able to move him. I think in part uh, because he got injured in that last week before the deadline. So there is, uh, there, there's a game of of chicken in there. I mean, it, it, there's, you know, no matter what happens at each deadline, and and you know, I will, I will readily acknowledge that the exciting stuff hasn't happened on the last day, the last few years. There's still just the bulk of moves come on on the the deadline day itself. But I think that. Uh, it, it the sooner you can make up your mind in terms of your plan as a team and just go out and make a move, I think more often than not you're better to do that than than wait to that chaotic last day where everyone's not slept enough here and and uh, they're usually in a war room and there's kind of mounting pressure from what and one thing I've got from talking to the people that are in those those situations and trying to make a trade is that there's always this kind of weird pressure in the room to try to get something done because, you know, a lot of people less invest a lot of hours, you know, whether it's your scouts or the meetings you have with those scouts to, to, to formulate a game plan. And if you can't make a trade, it's, you know, it, it can have kind of a negative effect on everyone. I just feel like the, the sooner you can commit to a plan and go out and do it, the, the better. But, uh, you know, certainly this year, unless it goes wild this weekend after we have this conversation, yeah. we haven't seen too much of that just yet. Well, and then there's always, like, you hear these stories about how, like, teams are approaching players who have no move clause or no trade clauses in, like, the last hour before the trade they'll or something. And you're just like, obviously, like, these conversations have been had throughout time. And if you're a player who's con- whose names are constantly in the rumor mill, like, I'm sure you're not oblivious to that. And you've probably had conversations with your with your GM and, and, and other guys in the staff. But it's like... It's just that, that dynamic's always fascinating to me too, because there is some potential awkwardness there where like if you approach a guy like that and, and you have the entire conversation and you tell him he's being moved and then all of a sudden he winds up staying and you just gotta go back to work the next day and pretend like nothing ever happened. Like obviously it's it's a business and they're all, all adults and it's easy to smooth that stuff over, but it just that that is also another kind of interesting uh interpersonal dynamic there. It is, and, and you know, there's probably times a GM isn't sure, or maybe times when the carpet comes out from them when they do feel that they're, they're, it's going to be easy to move someone, and for whatever reason, it falls through, and there isn't another deal there to be done. And and you know, this is a it's a pretty traumatic time for for I think guys in the industry, and and you know, not speaking about journalists, I mean the the, the players and uh, the managers, and you know, the, there's there's kind of a lot of focus on this, and and you know, I, I think it's it, it does it's getting increasingly tough on on teams themselves, and and. 
you know, I know a lot of GMs are just anxious to get their, their stuff done and just be able to say publicly that's it and move on because they do think it becomes a distraction in the dressing room. And, you know, perhaps that's somewhat inevitable, but, you know, it, there, there's so much movement at this time of year and basically anyone uh, who is on a team that isn't performing that well is on an expiring contract is going to have their name bandied about to some degree. And, and you know, I, I, I do I do kind of feel on the personal side of these things, but, you know, there's, there's no nice way to do it. In, in, in cases where we're talking about a veteran player, you know, take Marc-Andre Fleury, for example, with the Penguins, you know, I know that there's been a lot of discussion uh, between, uh, you know, Jim Rutherford, the GM, Alan Walsh, the agent, and, and even Marc-Andre Fleury himself. But, you know, in that case, we're talking about a guy who's, uh, the longest-serving member of the organization. He's, you know, there's there's no bad feelings. I think everyone understands what's happened. Now, I I don't expect him to be moved to this deadline. But what I mean is, uh, I think that there's been a lot of openness. Uh, I guess is the best way to put it between the player and the team. So he would know where he stands. Whereas, you know, there are other players who all of a sudden, uh, two days before their agent, you know, gets asked for their if let's say they have a 10 team no trade list they're, they're 10 teams and and they don't really know why except they know that obviously there's a possibility and right. man that must be a weird 48 hours when that happens yeah yeah and I, so a good example is his last year at the deadline jim benning notably caught a lot of flack because he had guys like dan hamhuis and rudy and verbata and and he didn't move them and was seemingly content just kind of sitting tight and letting them walk in free agency without having anything to show for it because his argument was you know, he wasn't getting satisfactory offers and he sort of wanted to draw a hard line and show the other GMs in the league that he wouldn't be exploited or taken advantage of and that that would help him in theory with future negotiations to just show them that he means business. Like, do you buy any of that or, 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 or like, did he just horribly make a mistake there? It looks like a horrible mistake to me. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, it's hard to see it the other way. I mean, I, I can understand his position because certainly uh you know you see rental players the market does fluctuate from year to year depending on all the circumstances going on and and you know certainly in the past at one time first round picks were basically traded like candy around the deadline basically any any contending team figured i don't need the 24th overall pick i'll just trade it for something i need right now whereas you know now you rarely see them moved it's only uh, for the absolute uh, best of the best uh that, that could come in and so, yeah, the the, the the sort of player, say, Dan Hamus was last year, uh, sometimes has gotten a, a huge haul, and other times, uh, as evidently was, was going to be the case last year, had uh, those trade talks materialized, wouldn't have brought too much back. But I feel like, especially when you're in a situation like the Canucks were, uh, you know, not making the playoffs, you know, kind of a bit of a limbo-type year, you, you've got to try to maximize the assets. I mean, uh, the Blues made a, a different, more calculated decision with, uh, David Backus and Troy Brower, and you know they ended up getting to the Western Conference Final, and uh, you know at least uh, you know while while they they didn't like losing those guys uh, to, for nothing at the end of the year, they, I mean they you could understand what they were doing. They felt they had a team uh, that could win a Stanley Cup and didn't didn't finish all that far short of the goal. And and you know we've seen a totally different approach this year uh, from the Blues, where you know the the biggest reason they're moving Kevin Shattenkirk is because. They don't uh, feel that there's there's any chance they're going to get them signed to a long-term deal. And even though uh, they're in playoff position uh, after a pretty good stretch under Mike Yo, that that uh, that that they can lose him for nothing because they don't think that they're a team that can win the Stanley Cup. And 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 you know they they, they recognize you got to get value back. So I think that you know really as honest as you can be with yourself and and with your owner in particular if you're a GM or someone who's managing a team, mm-hmm. uh, the better. And and you've you've 
really got to carefully manage your assets in these situations. Okay, let's have the uh, let's have the Kevin Shattenkirk talk and just cross our fingers and hope that uh, he doesn't get traded in the next like couple hours because <laughs> that would, ten minutes. Yes, yeah, that would, that would uh, deem this pretty stupid. But um, so the team that that's been he's been linked to most closely, I think, is is the Rangers, uh, just because it seems like that's a natural fit. I mean, he's a he feel a clear need for them, and he seems like I mean, you just kind of point back to the Keith Yandel move they made, and it's a it's a good comparable. But the question with them is is fascinating for me because on the one hand, uh, you know they're a pretty competitive team right now. They're they're sitting in a wild card spot, but as while they have Henrik Lundqvist, they're incentivized to try and go for it now and push all their chips in and win. And we've seen that from them. I mean, even last year uh, when they traded for Eric Stahl, which would was a trade that. You know, in, in, in definitely move the needle less than a guy like Kevin Shattenkirk would, although maybe if Stahl was playing as, as well as he is this year, it would have been a different discussion. But the, the, you could kind of view it from that perspective, or you can view it from, okay, well, the Rangers have just been bleeding out draft picks left and right for years. I mean, they haven't had a first rounder since 2012, and it's kind of tough to reconcile that considering Shattenkirk's going to be available as a free agent this summer. So, you could just make the argument that they should just kind of wait it out, try and do their best they can with this roster, and maybe trade for a guy like Brendan Smith or a smaller piece to help fill out on the fit in on the blue line, and then go after Shattenkirk this summer without having to mortgage all all of these future picks and stuff like that. Like, if you're them, what do you think makes the most sense in terms of how you proceed? The the, the biggest challenge is that Shattenkirk is exactly what they believe they need. Hmm. Uh, you know, someone who can move the puck. Uh, they, they've struggled with their power play at times i think especially lately and, and feel that he could make a real difference there and and you know i, I do think that that's what what kind of clouds the issue but you know my sense is that they they won't uh trade for him that that you know they have a reasonable idea to, to think that they would be probably the front runner as long as they're in somewhere in the ballpark with their their free agent uh offer in, in july 1st and you know giving up the assets now uh is difficult you know maybe this has made a little bit easier, and no one's put it to me exactly like this. But, but playing in a division with Washington and Pittsburgh, and, and seeing, you know, how strong those teams are this year, and 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 if you're being truthful with yourself, how difficult of a path uh, that could present to, to to get out of that division. Although they do finish in that wild card spot, there's there's a chance they'll play uh, the the first place team in the Atlantic Division, which which makes your your road in this sort of strange playoff structure we have uh, to the Stanley Cup a little bit easier. Um, but uh, it's it's just tough. I, I feel like I don't know how you make that move if you're them because, you know, for what St. Louis wants, which is a first-round pick, a good prospect, and something else, mm-hmm. that's a yeah. that's a pretty big price to pay. And and, and you hit the nail on the head when you, you talk about the Rangers and the way they've managed their situation in the past. That they, They've just uh, given up too much of those types of things over the years. And, and um, you know, it's going to be a real test of Jeff Gordon. Uh, to, to see if if he can kind of just pass on this one because it, it, there's such an obvious fit there. Uh, I think everyone believes that some way, somehow, Kevin Shattenkirk will be a Ranger at some point, uh, and they could have him today. But uh, I really don't think the cost right now, in terms of the trade cost, you know, makes makes much sense. Uh, but you never say never. I just I, I really don't believe it's going to happen. And, and, and from the Blues side of things, it sounds like they're really focused. 
now on just trading him as a rental player and you know that might have to lower their ask somewhat hmm. um but but you know he doesn't you know kevin shattenkirk doesn't control the the market he doesn't have a no move clause or anything uh, if we're just talking about a team acquiring him you know trying to make a run here down the stretch yeah, I mean, from the Rangers' perspective, like it's easier to give up those first-round picks when you're able to use your geographic location to get guys like Kevin Hayes and Jimmy Jimmy VC to sign with you, right? Like that that goes a right. long way to bridging that gap. But I, I think that's a, a valid point you make in the sense that, like, you, if you're if you're looking at them in the big picture in terms of how they stack up against the other Eastern teams, like as much as I love Shattenkirk and as much of a hole as he fits for them, like I'm still not sure that he really gives them anything more than like a kind of like a puncher's chance against Washington or Pittsburgh because those teams are just, are just so good. And it's like, it's, you, it, you do, that'd be the worst case scenario is like you trade for him, you give up these two or three future assets, you wind up losing again in the first or second round. And then you have not, and then he walks and you have nothing to show for it. Like that'd be, that'd be disastrous. Exactly. And then, you know, just the fact that, you know, you can get them to July 1st. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost, you just have to, I almost feel like you just have to cover your eyes and, just not imagine what it would look like now on your team because, you know, that that's the problem. So many, you know, the, the the league, the way it is, I just feel like GMs are in the moment so much, obviously, and it's their job to remove themselves from that from time to time. But, you know, I, I saw the Rangers actually play last night live, and they look pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. They, they, I, could, I could see why, and they're on a nice run. I've strung to, together a lot of wins lately. I could see why there's, there's a temptation to, to want to do it because it, it does – fill an obvious need uh he's he's a you know really a, a nice player and he's he's not an element that they have at this point especially since keith yandel's gone uh and i and i see him as an improvement on keith yandel frankly but mm-hmm. um the uh you know i just i think that ultimately they're going to take the the safer route and not not pay the trade price but uh, now I've just doomed us to be outdated as soon as possible. <laughs> well, the interesting thing you, you, you said earlier about how, you know, Shattenkirk doesn't necessarily control where he goes because he doesn't have that, that no move clause. Like, but in the sense that he, he also kind of does because we've heard these stories about how in the past they had deals on the table, whether it be with the Lightning or, or with the Oilers in the summer and they were kind of contingent on Shattenkirk re-signing with a team to make it worth their while. So they weren't making that future assets for ultimately nothing trade and, and he he basically kind of nixed it by just refusing to do that. So it's, it's interesting that he doesn't technically have a no trade, but basically he kind of does in a weird way, just based on uh, the no negotiation negotiating power he has. Well, and it's, it's, it's complicated. Uh, it's complicated. The whole situation, the fact that he's had to be involved and then obviously in, on a couple occasions and I don't fault him, it's his right, but he's you know chosen not to sign an extension. I mean, he's got a unique opportunity to become an unrestricted free agent, you know, at a time when there really aren't that many coveted ones. And we've seen a lot of guys hit some pretty big financial home runs during that, that time. And obviously can choose where he, he plays a little bit more than the trade scenarios that have, that have gone down. But, uh, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, it's easier to move a Ron Hainsey at the deadline, uh, because the, the, the return is, is different. The stakes for Carolina in that particular trade, are totally different and, and you know it's I think it's just simpler I mean the, the, the problem with Kevin Shattenkirk is is that he's he's of great value and and he's a very good player he's he's, he's you know I believe he's fifth in defenseman points I didn't look in the last couple of days but he's right up there among the, the leaders offensively among defensemen and and at some point if if he's not going to sign an extension which it sounds like is an unlikely scenario uh, and you're not getting much of a return then you almost look inward and wonder you know, is he worth more to us for the 
you know, last 18 games and, and whatever we can do in the playoffs. You know, I think that St. Louis, given their history, has decided that isn't the case. But mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 just harder to move good players now. And I think that that's why, in a lot of cases, teams want to get this business done quicker with players of this ilk. And, you know, that's why the Blues were trying to move them at the, at the draft last year to avoid this this kind of situation. Yeah, so you mentioned earlier about how um – you know, the, the market's really changed over the years where people were giving out draft picks left and right before, and then now it's gotten much stingier. But a big kind of subplot looming in the background of this traded line has been the fact that this is generally considered to be a weaker draft than in years past, especially at the top of the board where there isn't a generational type that could really just instantly change your franchise. And I think that we're already kind of seeing that so far just based on the fact that, you know, Ron Hainsey went for a second, Patrick Eves went for what could be a first. I mean, Thomas Yurko, who has as many points as I do this season went for a third round pick. And it's like teams definitely seem willing to uh, trade picks maybe more than they have in the past, which I feel like could open the door for more trades. And if for teams that are smart, like could open an interesting possibility of like just loading up like the Canucks, for example, last year where they missed out on this opportunity to load up on draft picks. All of a sudden they could kind of make amends for that if they if they play it right. Yeah, I, I think it's just more the high-end picks. There's still some trepidation. I mean, I, I, it's fair to say we're going to see more first-rounders moved at this deadline for the reason you mentioned. I mean, this this draft doesn't compare uh, to the last two in particular, uh, certainly at the, the very top end. But you know, I think there, there's a feeling around the industry, just depth-wise as well, that, that it doesn't have the same kind of cachet. You know, where it gets interesting is for a team, say, like Montreal, uh, and, you know, we, we know that they've talked to, to Colorado at various times and it seems like their whole city is clamoring for someone like Matthew Shane to be acquired. And, and I think, you know, where the issue for the Habs is, is, is even though, yes, they're in a degree of, of win now mode and, and, you know, what have you, they're, they're thinking, you know, teams that, that have success in this league often do it with players on entry level deals uh, being part of that. And, and if they move someone like Mikhail Sergachev, at this point is, you know, probably at this, it's fair to say their most prized prospect at the moment that, that, you know, that's really going to hurt them in the long run. Even if Matthew Shane helps now, I mean, he's, he's making around 6 million. Uh, he, he's only in another year from, from needing another deal. And, you know, that, that, that there's just, I think more of a tacit acknowledgement that, that you need to have these other guys that can step up and be part of a team. If you're ever going to, you know, truly have the kind of success they're they're hoping to have in a salary cap world. So I think that that's where it's put some of the chill on it. You know, really going back some years. But you know, I, I will say this: I'm one of the more optimistic people about this particular deadline. I, I've heard uh, the notion out there that it's it's going to be boring or quiet. I still think there's going to be a lot of volume. I just don't know that we're going to get fireworks or anything mm. that that sort of casual hockey fans get excited by. But I think there'll be tons of bodies. Uh, changing homes just because you know you're right there's draft picks and there's always a reason for a team to to just try to add some some depth this time of year and and similarly there's a reason if you're the Vancouver Canucks right now or the Dallas Stars the Detroit Red Wings to sell off some of your pieces and and start looking to to add more futures well and then the thing I'm curious about is do you think we see Vegas start to dip their toes in the water and maybe get involved a little bit here unfortunately not it it was their plan and their hope to do that um, but uh, I guess you're not going to have that all the paperwork done and their final payment in by March 1st itself, um, which is which is an issue. And the uh, you know I, I spoke with George McPhee a few days ago, and and he was mentioning to me that that he like teams had really started blowing up his phone 
because at that point, uh, it was thought that they would, you know, basically become a franchise officially in the league's eyes before March 1st. And there were GMs out there that wanted the certainty of, of you know, because all they can really trade right now is promises, promises not to take a certain player in the expansion draft. And, and you know, he was hoping to make two or three trades prior to March 1st. That's not going to be able to happen now. The good news is, is the type of trades he was going to make because they were going to be, you know, for draft picks. Uh, those can be made uh, after March 1st, actually. Right. Uh, the, the trade deadline only applies to players that uh, are, are possibly going to play in the playoffs. Uh, it's the deadline where players would have to move if that's the case. And, and so we might see them still in March make some moves. But I think they would have been a player at this deadline if that didn't happen. Because, you know, now some GMs might consider, you know, if they don't have anything worked out with Vegas and if they're not sure, uh, it might force to make some different moves now because you know, there's a few teams out there that, that we could identify that are in danger of losing a decent player for nothing in the expansion draft if they don't set themselves up a little bit better or make one of those deals with the Golden Knights. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely uh, something to watch from moving forward. Um, CJ, uh, enjoy your enjoy your trade deadline. Enjoy your March 1st. Hopefully you can get a, a sneak in a few hours of sleep uh, in these next couple of days before we get there. But uh, I know it's probably going to be pretty hectic with your phone blowing up and all that. I'm excited. I think we're about 116 hours ish out right now, and uh, <laughs> roughly, give or take. I will say that that uh, after 3 p.m. Eastern on March 1st, like the 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 couple hours after, tend to be my most favorite of the year, just because you you get through it, and and you know I think we're gonna have a great finish to the season, to be honest. And there's there's a lot of you can kind of just focus on the playoff races and the hockey, and then we get into the playoffs themselves afterwards. So I hope there's lots of action. The fans are engaged, and then we get to get down to to see which teams are going to win the cup this year well enjoy uh one of the few days where it's perfectly acceptable for you to be looking at your phone while you're on national tv that's uh that's always one of my favorites when you just see like the insider sitting in the back just like typing away on his iphone or his blackberry or whatever while like the camera is just per- perfectly pan on him it's 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 pretty great yeah even my wife doesn't mind this time of year so i've got a full <laughs> pass right now to to be engaged in whatever's going on on there all right man thanks for uh thanks for taking the time to come chat and i'm, I'm sure we'll uh we'll cross paths again very soon Look forward to it, Dimitri. Talk soon. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.